Long History After Magellan Part 2 Pacific Misery Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 of Long History's After Magellan. This is the first document we're looking at as part of our series called Forgotten Voyages. This voyage was the first Spanish expedition to attempt to reach the Spice Islands after Magellan's famous journey, already covered by Long History. It was originally headed by Commander García Jofre de Loaiza. And although the events of this expedition are not quite so world-changing as Magellan's, these events are no less adventurous. This account was written by Captain Andrés de Urdaneta, a friar and explorer who took part in the expedition. The journey took place between the 24th of July 1525 and September 1526, but Urdaneta's account here continues to include his decade on the Spice Islands before his return to Europe in 1536. The original Spanish text for this document has been exclusively translated for long history. Now I've already said that the events here are no less adventurous than those that happened to Magellan, and this episode, above all the others, is perhaps the most extreme example of that. Now I don't want to give any spoilers here, so I'll just list the places that Urdaneta visits in this um, episode. They at last leave the Magellan Strait, they cross the Pacific, eventually reaching islands that in those days were called the Ladrones Islands, and today are called the Mariana Islands. Then they reach what they call Bendanao, which I presume is Mindanao in the southern Philippines. And then they eventually reach the um, eastern side of the Batachina Island, a place called Zamafo. And Zamafo is very near to the Spice Islands, the main ones being, as we explained in the previous episode, Ternate and Tidore. They are very near those islands, but they hear some news in this episode which will affect the whole of their stay in the area. So this is episode 2. Feel free to start at the beginning with episode 1 if you haven't already. There are 10 episodes in total for this particular document, so subscribe to be notified when the others are released. So here is episode 2, Pacific Misery. Some 15 leagues from the Cape of the 11,000 Virgins, heading towards the Santa Cruz River, the Captain General ordered Don Rodrigo de Acuña to head back to where the Patache was and to recover his rowing boat, because the weather was improving, and to tell the Captain of the Patache that we were going to Santa Cruz, and that he should head there as quickly as possible. Don Rodrigo replied to the Captain General, asking how his grace after such a storm could want him to return there and be lost after all. The Captain General said that recovering the rowboat was necessary because they had no rowboats. Don Rodrigo asked why his grace wanted to send him to go where he didn't want to go, but he still had to go, and so he left and took their rowboat, which was given to him by those on the Patache, and with that he went where he wanted, as we never saw him again. The Patache reached us after some 20 days at the said Santa Cruz River, as we were caulking the captain's ship, no easy task during the winter. And, continuing our work in the water, we found out that three fathoms worth of the captain's ship's keel was spoiled. We fixed it as best we could, first with boards and then with lead plates, as the tides favoured us, the flowing waters growing five fathoms. This gave us the opportunity to do some maintenance to the caravels and the patache, and then we took on our water and wood. In this river we killed many fish in great quantities, with a net that we carried with us, every day. When the tide began to go out, a great deal of fish were trapped on land which we took. In this said river, on an islet, sea wolves would sunbathe every day, and when we spotted them, 36 of us men went there, divided into six groups, six men for each wolf. And when we landed, we went towards them, but, on the beach, Heading towards the wolves, we came across so many ducks without wings that we could not make our attack. Nevertheless, we hit out at the wolves that were still on land, and despite using hooks to seize them, and halberds and spears to kill them, we could not take any of them, except for one, which was above all the others, sleeping. We used up all the weapons and equipment that we carried. 
We opened up the wolf we had killed, and we found many stones in its stomach, larger even than the hand and very smooth, a limitless amount. This wolf had as much meat as an ox on its forequarters, but in its hindquarters it had almost none. The hunters ate the liver, and the rest who ate demolished it from head to toe. We left the said Santa Cruz River, having prepared the ships for the strait, and we entered it until some islets where the captain's ship was hit, and, being anchored at an islet, on the captain's ship a cauldron of pitch caught fire, and the ship itself caught fire. We almost burnt with her, but, for the help of God and thanks to the great diligence employed, we killed the fire. Ahead of these islands we ran aground on a grassland which we mistook for a channel, but we could move off because the sea was like a calm river. From here onwards we came across a good many ports on the northern side and good anchorage. There are many very large mountain ranges all covered with snow. There was a great deal of tree coverage, amongst which there was one type of tree whose leaves are like that of the laurel, and whose bark has the same flavour as cinnamon. Also, there were many mussels in great quantities, all full of pearls. In this strait, the quartermaster, Diego de Cobarrubias, died. In the month of May 1526, the captain's ship, the two caravels and the patache left the strait. Within a few days there was a great storm which separated us all from each other, never to see them again. And due to the heavy seas we encountered, the ship was opened up in many parts, having endured a great deal. And so we took on lots of water in great quantities, which proved too much for our two pumps. Every day we thought we would be drowned. Furthermore, the allowance for each head was reduced due to the many men from the ship that had been lost that had come aboard. In this way, due to our exhaustion and lack of food, our misery was great and some men died. Amongst those who died were Tejera, the treasurer, and Rodrigo Bermejo, pilot of the said ship. On the 30th day of the month of June, the captain-general, Frey García de Loaiza, died. And after consulting a secret proviso of his majesty, Juan Sebastián de Cano was sworn in as captain-general, who made a nephew of the said Loaiza, the general accountant, a vacant post. Martín Pérez del Cano was pilot, and Hernando de Bustamante became the ship's accountant, another vacant post, due to the death of Inigo Cortés de Pérez. On the 4th day of August in the year 1526, Captain Juan Sebastián de Cano and the nephew of Commander Loaiza, who was general accountant, died. We voted for Toribio Alonso de Salazar as captain, who declared Martín Iñiguez de Carquisano as general accountant, and in his place declared Gonzalo de Campo as the high bailiff. The treasurer of the ship also died, so Gutiérrez de Tignon was given this post. During these times we were very overworked and exhausted, 14 or 15 degrees from the northern side looking for Japan. As the people were exhausted as much from working the pumps as from the sea, and as there was little to eat and drink, and poor, people died every day. And in this respect we agreed to continue on our route to Maluco. Continuing on our route, we discovered an island at 14 degrees from the north. We gave it the name San Bartolomé. The said island seemed large and we couldn't take it, so we continued our route to Maluco. Around 12 days after departing from this island, we had sight of the islands of Ladrones, at 12 degrees from the north, where we anchored the ship. Here we found a Galician man who was called Gonzalo de Vigo, from Espinosa's ship, who had been left with two other companions. The other two died, leaving him alive. He then came to the ship and helped us a great deal because he knew the language of those islands. There are 13 islands, according to Gonzalo de Vigo, and they are from 12 degrees to 19 degrees, running north to south. On these islands there is no type of cattle or hens or any other animals or supplies other than rice. 
of which there is a very large quantity with fish, coconuts, coconut oil and salt. The Indians of these islands walk about naked, with nothing upon their bodies. They are well-disposed men, wearing their hair long and a full beard. They have no iron tools, working with stone. They have no other weapons than a slingshot and hardened spears, with some tibias from dead men and fish bones. On these islands we took eleven Indians to work the pumps, because many of the men on the ship were ill. And having taken on water, we then set off for Maluco, the Galician man coming with us voluntarily. After staying about eleven or twelve days on these islands we left, and within eight days Captain Salazar passed away. We made Martin Iniguete Carquisano captain, who had been the general accountant until then. Juan de Belva also died, the master of the said ship, and in his place was put Inigo de Lorriaga as master. Around 15 days after we left the Ladrones Islands, we saw a large island which is called Bendanao, and we went to anchor in a port which is called Bisaya. Then we went with a rowboat onto land and we talked with the people of the land, because the Galician man could speak a little of the Malayan language and could make himself understood with them. Then they brought us a pig and hens, as if they wanted to sell them, but they did not want to sell them. The people of this land are deceitful. They wear cloths of cotton and silk and wear satin clothes from China. They are all armed, their lances in their hands, along with their cutlasses and their grises, which are a type of dagger, and their shields. They are a treacherous and warlike people, who, through betrayal, attempted to attack us in their rowboats. However, we had been warned and they did not achieve their aim. Many times they came at night, in rowing boats that are very light, to the ship to cut its moorings, but we guarded them well, so their aims were thwarted. We spent ten days in this port without being able to buy any supplies. On this Bendanao island there is a great deal of gold, and they brought it to us so we could buy it from them. But the captain ordered that no one should dare buy it, and so none was bought. Thus we had to continue on our route with no refreshment. Here we took on an Indian, taking him to Maluco. He told us that two junks, being the ships that those people sailed in, came every year from China to buy their large quantities of gold and pearls. Also, more ships came to other islands for the same reason. On this same island there is also cinnamon, on the western side. We left this port, Bisaya, and about 40 leagues from there we stopped at an island called Talao, where we found happily communicative people. They sold us many pigs and goats and hens and fish and rice and palm wine and many other supplies. In this way, the people were well replenished. We prepared the ship very well, setting up our artillery and preparing our weapons because we were near to Maluco. The Indians of this island told us that to the east there were some islands where there was a great deal of gold. They wanted to go with us, but as the ship was large and taking on a lot of water, we did not want to risk travelling between islands, so we did not go there. When we arrived at the Celebes archipelago, Martin Iniguete Carquisano named Martin García de Carquisano as Treasurer General, Diego de Solier as Quartermaster General, and Francisco de Soto as General Accountant. After 15 days on the island of Talao, we set off for Maluco. Altogether, we were 105 people. From the strait to this point, around 40 men had died. Three days after leaving Talao, we stopped at Batachina Island, on the eastern side in a port called Samafo. The Indians of this place are vassals to the king of Tidore. They received us with great pleasure when they saw that we were Castilians, particularly the governor of the place, who was called Bubacas. In this place we found a slave of the Portuguese who had fled. He spoke very good Portuguese, and he said that the Portuguese were on the islands of Maluco and had a fortress on the island of Ternate. 
Only a few days ago they had destroyed the king of Tidori, who had long been at war with the Portuguese owing to two ships, of Juan Sebastián de Cano y Espinosa, which had been loaded with cloves on the island. Then, on this day, the captain Martín Iñiguez asked the governor of Samafo for a parao, which is a rowboat, to be sent to the Maluco Island secretly to the kings of Tidore and Gilolo, who the Indians of that land had said were great friends of the Castilians. That same hour, the governor ordered a boat to be prepared. A lot has happened in this short episode. After repairing their boats, the crew finally make it through the Magellan Strait, but in the Pacific, perhaps many of the men wish they had never made it. The list of deaths is stark, especially when Loaisa, the captain of the expedition himself, dies. His replacement, Juan Sebastián de Cana, also dies. And it isn't mentioned here, but it's interesting to note that this man, Juan Sebastián de Cano, was, quietly, one of history's most important men, being one of the few survivors to make it all the way around the world on Magellan's expedition. But not just that, but he led the ship that made it all the way round. Nevertheless, and despite that achievement, here he dies. Magellan's legacy continues when they come across Gonzalo de Vigo, the Galician man. They find him on the Latrones Islands, today's Mariana Islands. This Galician man was also part of the Magellan fleet that had passed that spot some four or five years earlier. The remaining ship reaches the southern Philippines and then approaches the Spice Islands. They arrive on the eastern side of Patachina Island in a place called Samafo, with the Spice Islands of Tidore and Ternate lying themselves off the opposite side of this large island. And here we're given a brief account of the politics of the area. The Portuguese have recently attacked and destroyed one Spice Island, Tidore. With this information, the Castilians now know where to go to find friends in the area. Any enemy of the Portuguese is their friend. Therefore, they send emissaries to Tidore and to Gilolo. In the next episode, they will quickly become embroiled in local politics. <laughs>